Isaiah chapter 58. We, we've been marching through Ephesians, uh, and we're through chapter 1, and I told you, just kind of, um, for those who might uh, not have been here, I, this January... Um, this January set of messages will be kind of disjunctive. They'll be, they won't necessarily tie together, okay? We're focusing on some things. First, this Sunday, the first Sunday of 2011, we're focusing on or refocusing on our vision. Vision sermons here are not like they are at some places, and that doesn't mean them right and us uh, wrong or us right and them wrong. We don't do a lot of changing of vision, here, okay, we tweak it, we massage it, but the basic vision has been here from the beginning, and so, but we're, but it is good at least once a year to remind ourselves of what it is we're doing, and 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 listen, you you are so um, passionate, and you are headed so many different directions with the same kind of heart, but you don't always know what others are doing. And so it's good to kind of remember, hey, I'm not out here on an island. Others are doing things and working in the community. And, and so today will be kind of that kind of uh, day for us here at Grace Fellowship. Next week we'll have our first quarter emphasis on a, a principle of giving. Okay, a principle of giving. Remember, one of the things we wanted to do last year and we didn't get it done, but this year we want to get this done, is to, to emphasize giving once a quarter. That doesn't mean that it's going to be the, uh, the same sermon about uh, the, the begging for... We're not begging for money, but we want to teach good godly principles in giving. And so we're going to do that at least four times this year. And uh, so that's next week. And then the following week is uh, something we've done here almost every year, and that is a Sunday for to emphasize a, a passion for race relations. Good, solid uh, uh, race relations. The next week will be Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so we will celebrate life and celebrate God's love of life and what we should be doing to love life in our culture. And then January 30th, we'll start Ephesians chapter 2. All right? So that's kind of, Lord willing, that's where we're headed. Uh, and so if, if, all kidding aside, if I drop over dead between now and January 30th, at least somebody knows what's going on. All right? So just keep going or change it. It won't matter to me at that point. Um, Grace Fellowship, today I wanted to cast a vision of a faith that works. A vision of a faith that works. You know, in our, in our society, in our lives, we, uh, as the evangelical church, when I say we, right now I'm saying as the evangelical church at large in the United States, are often seen, especially the conservative evangelical church, as as very focused, very intentional in pious ways. Now, it may not look that way if you compare it to generations in the past. But if you talk to the average lost guy at your business, in your neighborhood, the lost gal you work out with on Monday mornings, and ask them what is an evangelical Christian, they will begin to spat out to you rules. That's pious. Okay? Now, we on the inside know we don't live very pious lives. But on the outside, they look and say, those people are legalistic, hard-nosed, anti-everything, not for anybody or anything. And, and that's kind of how we're perceived from the outside. All right? That's our cultural perception, I think. 
It's fair to say that. And perception is reality. So, you know, we can say, well, it's not true, but you're arguing with the wall. They, they perceive it that way, okay? But, but why is it that way? And partly because most of our sermons for the last 30 years from the pulpit, most of our Bible studies in Sunday school, in discipleship training hour, in our discipleship times, on Wednesday nights, the majority of teaching has been about moralistic living. It sounds something like five ways to do this, seven ways to do that. You've heard it, right? It's basically self-help theology. My grandmother and I, you know, my grandfather passed away a couple years ago, so she kind of trusts me now. And she'll, she, she gave me a book at Thanksgiving and said, my friends say this is a great book. My church friends say it's a wonderful book. And, and even some people in our family have read it. They say it's a wonderful book. Would you read it and tell me about it so I don't read the wrong things? So I read it. At Christmas, she said, did you bring my book back? I said, no. Why not? Because you don't need to read it. But it's Christian. It's Christian in name. It's not Christian in principle. It's a self-help theology. Have you lived through that? I mean, you can be honest with yourself, with God. Has that been your experience? Self-helpism? Kind of? Be a better you? I've lived there, and it's death, isn't it? Because the reality is you can't be a better you. You have no hope in that. I have no hope in that. So what is a biblical theology? What's a biblical vision for how Grace Fellowship should preach and teach and live and disciple? Where is it? So I want to read 12 verses and then I want to kind of explain them uh, here. Although it will be far inadequate. We could spend months here, but we're going to do it in a day. Cry aloud, 58 verse 1. This is Isaiah, 700 years prior to Christ. God says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. I'll make some commentary here. Anybody ever tells you preaching is outdated, take them to a verse like this and say, this is what God told his men to do always. Cry aloud. I don't, I don't know any other way to do that but preach. Cry aloud, tell them their sins. Be like a trumpet, Isaiah. Yet, this is what God's saying about His people. Yet, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgment. They delight to draw near to God. You sense the sarcasm? You should in my voice. The people say, why have we fasted and you see it not, God? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? God's answer, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only so you can quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? God says, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose 
the bonds of wickedness. Undo the straps of the yoke. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, do I not want you to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If, if, conditional statement, you take away the yoke from your midst. If you stop pointing the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry. If you satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in a scorched place and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundation of of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. 730 years later, standing in his local synagogue, Jesus Christ said this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me today because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim that the year of the Lord's favor is here, Isaiah 61 and 58, and fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Jesus Christ, listen, if we as Grace Fellowship want to be Christ in the body, we have to take up this as our ministry. This has to be who we are. You can't get what we just read in Isaiah 58, you can't get that. Through a program that comes from our heart. That comes from the people who know Christ. And so you say, you said the vision doesn't change here. You're not launching us in a new direction. No, I don't have to. Excuse me while, like a father, I brag. This small congregation, last calendar year, did 46 hands-on, oppressive-ending, justice-type, feeding-the-poor ministries, this congregation. 46. That's almost one a week. Listen, I'm not today telling you we're going a different direction. I'm saying let's become people who, from our heart, do that ministry And continue to do that ministry. I'm not saying let's go a different direction. I'm saying let's go further in the direction we're headed. This small congregation last year assumed a college ministry, really, for the first time. Really. I mean, we've been working at it, but I would say this year we kind of turned the corner. And the ministry being done at JSU with the gospel being preached and students being discipled really became 
an extension, just an arm of this church. And it happened because of vision from one man, Dave Swinney, and prayers of that one man and hard work when no one was watching. And then look what God does. Now, listen, I'm not pretending to know what God's up to with everything. But listen, then, much to our dismay, this one man that had been bearing the burden is not there. And you, the church, began to disciple college students. You, the church, began to go on campus. You, the church, began to assume an Isaiah 58 mentality. You let Christ be Christ in and through you. So, no, I'm not saying let's launch out a new direction. I'm saying let's go further in the direction we're already going. This church, seven years old, seven years old, has a full-blown adoption funding ministry. Because you, the church, own it. It's yours. I hear you in your conversations telling others about it. Seven children the first year and nine children total have homes because of you. You have broken the bonds of their oppression. You've done it. So I'm not saying let's go somewhere else. Let's try some new thing. I'm saying just let's just keep going. How about it? Together. Let's keep laboring. Let's keep our hands to the plow and let Christ through us be Christ in our community. This year, we saw the birthing of another ministry from this little congregation that brings churches together to do things that the Lord wants done here in this county and the surrounding areas. And nine churches came together and went to work through Ignite Calhoun County. And you were part of that. You were a backbone to that. Your funding made that happen. So, need I go further? And this in a year where everything hasn't been perfect, has it? The economy hadn't been what we thought it would be if you had been talking to us five years ago. It's come backwards, not gone forward. And yet, I don't have the final numbers yet, but I believe that we, we will have exceeded the budget again. Seven years we've been a church, and seven years God has overdone what we thought He would do. And so what I'm saying is when God is showing Himself faithful, why would we, A, change, or why would we, B, shrink back as if He won't provide? I'm saying let's keep going forward. Let's keep moving. Let's keep letting Him shape and change us. This year, discipleship has begun to take more root. You're beginning to meet, to pray and study and read together. Not because the elders are hammering you, but because you want to and you love to. That's a sign of God's work. That's a sign of what we're talking about. going to talk about in this passage. And so, please understand. When I... When I stop and reflect over what all God is up to, and I don't know it all, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm thankful. I'm overrun with thanksgiving. Our family, and, and you don't know this congregation, and I'm not going to tell you their name, and they may be a 
perfectly fine congregation, but we, wor- we worshipped with a congregation last week. And it made me so much more thankful for you. It made me so much more appreciative of what God is doing in and through you. And, and, and that is a testimony to Him. 700 years before Christ came, before there was really an embodiment in the flesh of Isaiah 58, God was telling His people that this is how the world will know you. Is that in verse, and, the, and listen, we're going to do the whole passage, but I want to focus in so you know where I'm going. Look at verse 6, because here's what I think. I want to tie some things together, then we'll go back through it quickly. Verse 6 and the first part of, I mean, the second part of 9 are about social and justice type ministry. Notice four times in verse 6. When God says something four ways, four times in one verse, the headlights ought to brighten up and say, oh, hey, he's got something he wants to tell us. Look what he says. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Okay, you need a better, you need a more cute thing for, take off the straps of the yoke. Let the oppressed slave go free. Break every yoke. I don't, I don't know how he can be more blunt. Verse 9b. Take away the yoke in your midst. Stop oppression. Can God say it any clearer? Stop oppression. That's when God is at work in a congregation, that congregation will be, will be from their heart, not because someone's making them do it, pounding them to do it, but because it's who Christ is and Him coming out of them will bring an end to oppression in, in, in all sorts of forms. In social forms, in inequities, in injustices, in bad marriages, abuse to children... It, it comes, it ceases because Christ is not oppressive. And so when he's in you, then you are not oppressive. And if you're not oppressive, you don't much tolerate others being oppressive. God's people don't stand in line at Walmart and watch as someone belittles another person of a different race or a different socioeconomic class or because their mental faculties are not up to our standard. They don't just stand and let that happen and act like they don't see it. Look the other way. Read a National Enquirer magazine so they don't look like they're hearing what's being done. God's people do not go to restaurants and watch people abuse one another and not have their hearts broken and begin to pray and cry out to God to change that. God's people just don't sit around, this is what this verse is saying, and allow government and business to just oppress and hold down whole groups of people. It just doesn't happen. And historically, we can look back and see God's church, when the gospel's being preached rightly and being proclaimed and heralded and people are growing spiritually, slavery comes to an end, women being prostituted comes to an end, Abuse in homes comes to an end. Why? Not because somebody stood up and said, hey, we're going to launch this new social program. Or not because the government stands up and says, hey, we started this new program. But because the people of God in the culture say, I'm, I'm not going to tolerate it. Not in my house. Not in my church. Not in my neighborhood. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to speak up. If it costs me a punch in the nose... 
At Walmart, it cost me a punch in the nose at Walmart. I'm not going to let sin run rampant. I'm going to be a well-watered garden, a tended garden. That's what he's saying at the end. We're going to get there. So, am I saying it's works-oriented? No, I'm saying that faith works. That's what James said. So, Isaiah 58, James draws off of that and other passages to say, if you say you have faith and your life has no Meaning no work, then your faith is dead. It's not real faith. It's passages like Isaiah 58 that tell James that that's the case. That's the facts. Okay? So let's go through it. Let's go through it one step at a time. What what am I wanting? I want Grace Fellowship to have a vision of their life, their home, their church, and even the greater church community that faith works. In, in, in one short form, Grace Fellowship, beginning with me, my family, this church, and then the other churches of this community, that next year we look at it, we see that now, more than last year, our faith is at work. Our faith is at work. There's no new program. You can relax. There's no new program. It's, it's, it's simply a way of life. It's a heart. It's much more difficult than a program. Some of you will leave, like last year, frustrated I didn't give you a program. The biggest complaint about the vision days last year was, you didn't tell us any specific thing to do. Yep, you're right. I didn't give you a a program. But you can't program heart-level commitment to the gospel. It either is there or it's not. So let's look at Isaiah 58 together. Now we've kind of looked at our church a little and we've seeing the positive things and the things we may still lack and want to move forward in. Let's look at Isaiah 58 here. The first thing we see in Isaiah 58 is an indictment from God against His people. It's an indictment. There's nothing glowing in the report. God's people are being oppressed from the outside because they are making slaves in their midst to idolatry. In Isaiah's day, the wheels are beginning to come off. Things are not what they should be. And it begins in the house of God, in among the people of God. And this is what God has to say about it. First of all, notice, if we want to have a vision for faith that works, we have to be committed to lovingly but truthfully deal with one another. From the pulpit and in our individual relationships. In other words... Cry aloud. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. That is a direct command to Isaiah, who is a prophet of God. But in some ways, it is a command to all God's people. We must become a people who lovingly and and gently but truthfully confront sin. In our own life, in our family's life, in our church's life, and in the community's life. We have to confront it. We have to confront it from the pulpit. We have to confront it from our small group Bible studies in our homes. We have to confront it from our personal relationships. We have to be willing to risk. Isaiah is taking a huge risk socially to stand up and say what he's saying. And we have to do the same at Grace Fellowship as individuals and as a church. So, as we look for a vision of faith, one way we know it comes, 
It takes root is through the preaching of God's Word. So we will continue to preach God's Word. And through the teaching of God's Word, and we will continue to do that in like Sunday school and also our home groups and also in your individual Bible studies that you're involved in. We're going to teach God's Word is not being overlooked in favor of social justice. God's Word is being preached and therefore social justice, if that's what you want to call it, is flowing out of a changed heart. So we're not replacing preaching with doing good things. We're going to preach and teach as hard as we ever have and pray God changes the heart so that these things flow out of us. Okay? So, a vision that, of faith for faith that works begins with a strong word ministry. A strong word ministry. So, we're going to continue to push forward in that. And I challenge you. I challenge you and I challenge myself to this. Don't wait on someone else. If you have a desire to teach the Bible, to teach or learn the Bible with another Christian, call them, email them, Facebook them, go to their house and see them and say, I need fellowship around God's Word. Please, can we meet? Let's don't sit back anymore. How about it? If we want a vision of faith that works, we're going to have to be people bold enough to say, Hey, I need to be with other Christians and I need to be sharpened and trained in His Word. I need to be crying aloud and I need somebody to cry aloud to me. Let's don't sit on islands and whine. That's what I like to do. Well, I didn't get invited. Nobody ever asked me. Let's say, hey, you know what? I can ask. You You have that freedom here. To say, you know what, I, I'm tired of sitting at home by myself. I'm going to call people until somebody will come and meet with me and sit with me. And they can cry out to me and I can cry out to them what the Word of God is. And we can pray together and we can develop a real ministry of the Word. And let it change and sharpen us. And you're not too old for it. And you're not too young for it. The last point I want to make there is, listen, olders in our congregation... Don't wait on younger people to invite you. Scripturally, you should be going after the youngers. You should be pursuing them. And don't, hey, look, I know we're hard-headed. And we think we know all the answers. And we think we're smarter than you. And you know we're not. Okay? So just let's just all admit that up front and then put that one to the side. And, hey, break the ice, olders. Call these younger couples. There are families that are hurting in our church and they need you. They need the experience that you have from years of walking with Christ that they can't get from someone their age. They just can't get it. And younger folk, don't sit back and say, well, no older person's come to me, so I'm out. Go to an older person and submit yourself, humble yourself and say, I need to be helped. I got real problems. I need you. Will you help me? We don't have an older person in this congregation. I don't believe we do. Not one that would say, no, I'm not going to help you. We have some of the most loving olders I've ever known. They're not crusty. They're not mean. They're very loving. So, reach out. Both ways. And let's let God... 
make verse 1 a reality for us. A ministry of the Word among our people. Not just from the pulpit. You may say, well, we get it from the pulpit. And we get it from home group, but it's not enough. Let's really, life on life, one another. Let's, and that comes in a lot of shapes and fashions. It's not always sit down at 6 o'clock, get done at 7.30, and go our own ways, Bible studies. Sometimes it's fixing faucets. Sometimes it's talking about training children. Sometimes it comes in the form of cutting somebody's grass or going and doing a ministry project together or, you know, you name it. It can be in any form, okay? I'm not trying to shackle you into one form. But let's just bridge that gap, okay, together. I believe God would bless that. Secondly, if we want a vision for working, what we see here is we have to move from pious gatherings to truly pious living. Here, the very beginning, the indictment is all about pious gatherings. Look what he says. You seek me daily. That sounds great, doesn't it? Sounds wonderful. Boy, these people have got it together. You delight to know my ways. As if. Now there's the first clue that we've got an issue. God, God is telling them, you do that as if you are a nation of righteousness. And yet look what he says. Your fasts, verse 3b. Your day of fast is for your own good. You, you do it so that you can then oppress other people. You ever, been, you ever been guilty of that? You walk away from a situation, maybe with a family member, maybe with your wife, maybe with some neighbor, maybe with a co-worker, and you say, man, my piousness, my righteousness oppressed that person. The only reason I brought that up in that conversation was so they would feel guilty about who they are. It's all about doing the right things on the outside is what God's saying. Your whole congregations are about gathering and doing the right things on the outside so that then you can oppress the the world, oppress your neighbors. Your fast days are for you. They're not for me. Let's don't do that at Grace Fellowship. One of the great things, um, I know I'm telling you a lot of good things about yourself, so if you're visiting, I don't do this every week. They don't get to hear very many things from me about how great they are, so just humor them and me a little bit. This is out of the norm. But it's true. One of the great testimonies here is, is not that we're an overly friendly church, because I think we could be a lot more friendly. But one of the great testimonies is is that there are people, when I said there are people who are convicted felons, there's more than one. I'm using the plural for a reason. That are members of our church. Divorced folk populate our church. People that have been abandoned, people that have been abused, people that have had good lives, hard lives, on top of socioeconomics and on the bottom of it, they gather here. Even other races are beginning to gather here. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a blessing. And the reason that happens is we're not an overly friendly church, and I think that is something we need to get better at. But once you're in, this is like a pack of wolves. It, it, they, the people here love one another intensely. Once you're in, it's hard to get in, and we need to get better at that. But once you're in, 
you got to literally kill somebody to get out. And even then, they, the people probably be really gracious. That's a, that, that's a good thing. Because what it reflects is that our piousness, what, what we do have that is pious, is not to oppress. But that's a trap we can fall into. So I want to warn us, be careful that we're not just putting on airs outwardly so other people think, well, they're good people, so we can then hammer them about how bad they are. That's dangerous. That's what the Jewish gatherings had become. It had become a way to oppress. Fasting like yours, he says in verse 4, does not make your voice heard on high. What's the result of oppression? You're cut off in your prayer life. God doesn't listen. There's nothing more frightening. Should, there should be nothing more frightening than for a believer to hear that our Father doesn't hear us. It should not be a light thing for us to say, I know I abused my wife and God doesn't hear me when I pray. I know that. That should crush us if that is true. That should be beyond anything else in your life. That should scare you to death that you're His child and He doesn't hear when you pray. So, the warning here is simple. Piousness is not for oppression. It is not outward only. It begins in the heart. And we're going to get there when we talk about the answer. So the word needs to be strong. It needs to be taught publicly. It needs to be taught privately. It needs to be one anothered among us. With truthful, gentle love. But truth, not just love. Okay? And then we need to guard against becoming overly righteous from the outside. So that we look good to everybody. Okay? Now, that's the indictment. Everything in, Jew, in the Jewish life at this time in Isaiah's day, for the majority of the people, had become about looking a certain way, associating with a certain people, and it was also they might get a benefit. Now, what's the answer? How do you prevent that from being who you are? And it's a little tricky, because Isaiah starts off with the what flows out of the person. And so you might want to start there and say, well, that, that, that's what I need to get about doing so I won't be oppressive. But you overlook the fact that the answer is deeper in the text. The answer is down the page. If you look at verse 10, the answer is in verse 10, 11 and 12. The answer is a true relationship with the only one who has ever perfectly kept Isaiah 58. Look what it says in verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire for the afflicted, look, then shall your light rise in the darkness. Transitions happened here. He's talking about light. Light has a source. What is the source of the light that shines forth from the people? Verse 11. The Lord will continually satisfy your desire in a desertous place. The source of the light is the Lord. 
The transition that happens from the first six verses to the last six verses is that Christ, God, becomes their all in all. If you want to get away from fasting for righteousness sake so you can oppress, have a relationship with the Lord. And then your fasting will be to draw near to Him. Then He will be your satisfaction even in a desertous place. Then He will strengthen your bones for the day of battle, though your bones naturally are very weak. Then He will make you like a water garden, a spring of water, whose water never fails. Does that sound familiar? Maybe when Jesus was teaching about the Holy Spirit, and He said, from their heart will flow a spring of living water which shall never cease. The source of the vision of faith that works is not getting busy about doing a lot of things. It's about getting busy to know the Lord first. And then from knowing Him, because He is the only one to ever keep Isaiah 58 perfectly, will flow works. It begins with relationship, which manifests itself in the goodness of Christ. Do you see that? Do you agree with that? Not just outwardly, but inwardly. Do you really believe that? Look at verse 12. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Now here he's talking about Jerusalem. The, the, the prized city of God, if you want that rebuilt, then these things must become true of you. This relationship which flows outwardly into good righteousness must be true of you. And then you're going to be able to raise up a foundation that was built over generations and you will be called the repairer of the breach. If we want to be called as Grace Fellowship the repairer of the breach of the evangelical church in Calhoun County, we will have to have a relationship with Christ Himself which works itself out in goodness and righteousness to the outside world. If not, we will be oppressors. That's the truth. And so, in 2011, what do I want us as a congregation and as families, what do I want us, what do I want us to do? What do the elders want you to do? I don't want you to leave confused. We, A, we want you to know Christ through His Word and by the power of His Spirit. And the way we will help aid that is we will teach God's Word. We will seek to live God's Word in our own lives first. And then by example and by crying aloud, you will also do that. You will follow. You will do. You, this will be true of you. What do I want you to, what, what, do we, what is the desire for Grace Fellowship in 2011? That we, that we truly, in this relationship, begin to overflow from that relationship into action. As last year was a good improvement, we hope that at the end of 2011 we'll say, man, we thought 2010 was good. Look what God's done now. Continuing down the path. Not starting down a new one. Continuing down. And some of you are frustrated. I know. And you've tried to reach out and you've had your hands slapped. 
And your response has been, well, I'm not doing that again. Hey, hey, just make it a pledge. January the 2nd, 2011, I'm going to put my hands out. And if people slap it and won't have a relationship with me, I'm going to keep extending my hand. I'm going to keep extending my hand. Because Jesus said he had stretched out his hands in this same book to a stiff-necked people who all day long slapped him and would not receive his fellowship. So when you do that, when you continue to be vulnerable and stick out the hand of fellowship and it gets slapped and it gets slapped and it gets slapped and you're turned away, you have a companion closer than a brother who has done the same. He's not asking you to go where he hasn't gone. Continue to build those relationships of discipleship in 2011. Extend new relationships of discipleship. Get in one for the first time ever. And then as that relationship becomes your life, that relationship with Christ becomes your life, I trust fully that the yoke of oppression will be broken. Because of the text here and others like it all over the Bible. You know, we, we are not a liberal church. Some would say we are more liberal than they are, but we are not a liberal church. We are very conservative. But one of the things that I believe is true of conservative churches is they are often focused on the Word to the exclusion of what the Word should do in their life. And that's what we're trying to stay out of the ditch of. There's a tension. Now, you know, the liberal congregations are all about social justice and the word sits on the shelf. And the really conservative often, the word is prominent, so they say outwardly, and social justice and what could be the furthest thing from their minds. Neither are biblical. Neither are right. Neither are who we want to be. Grace Fellowship in the future if God has His way, will be this kind of people. A people that are passionately in love with their Savior. Mercifully and graciously loving their neighbor. And breaking all oppression. That's the church I want to be a part of. That, that's the church I think I am a part of. And that's the church I want us to be in 10 years, is more that. Passionately in love with the Savior, through His Word, through prayer, through the inward bodies, disciplines. I want that. Mercifully and graciously loving the neighbor. I think we're, we're doing that, and I want us to get stronger at that. And breaking every yoke of oppression. Man, in 10 years, if that's true of us, the light of the gospel will shine like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. How do I know? Because in Matthew 5, when Jesus got done talking about these same truths in the Beatitudes, He said that was true. Himself. In ten years, if we're living in a relationship passionate with Christ, merciful and gracious to our neighbor, and breaking the yokes of oppression... Our light will shine forward and the glory of God 
will be our rear guard. Did you notice that in the text? Isn't that amazing? The light of the gospel is the face of the church and the hind protection. The most vulnerable spot of any army is its rear flank. All a battle is is keeping them off your rear flank. If they get behind you, you're dead. They can cut your supplies. They can hammer you and you have very little response. You're not ready to wage war that direction. But look, the church that is shining the light of the gospel by passionately loving the Savior and mercifully and graciously graciously engaging their neighbor and breaking every yoke of oppression. The light of the gospel shines forward and God gets in your rear guard and says, these are my people. And His glory guards, His Shekinah glory guards you as you go forward in the fight. That's why he says the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Because we are waging a war with him. His kingdom come. His will be done in grace fellowship as it is done in heaven. Let's pray. Father, in heaven.